0: Hey y'all, this is your host, Elise Robinson, with Nobody Wants to Work Though podcast, I hope these stories will inspire you to switch careers. I was an auditor in my past life and now I'm in tech and let's get to it.
1: We are Switch Into Tech, tech resources to accelerate your career in information technology, monthly classes on tech topics. We offer free or discounted exam vouchers, scholarships, free Udemy courses, free events, free boot camps, and more. You can find us at
0: www.switchintotech.org. Record on this. Hey y'all, this is Elise Robinson with Nobody Wants to Work Though podcast, and today I have Shara. Uh, She is a social worker and she does, she has this fascinating business on the side, which that's how I found her on LinkedIn. So go ahead and introduce yourself.
1: Hi, everybody. My name is Shaw Ruffin. I am a licensed clinical social worker by training, um, former psychotherapist, uh, been in the field of social work for over 20 years. Um, think I don't look like what I've been through, but uh, nonetheless, I am in a business for myself now. Um, I've been in business for about two years and had a lot of success with it, which we're probably going to go into. So I am thankful to be here. Thank you for inviting me, Elise.
0: All right. Yeah, i I didn't want to peg your age, but I was like, she been there doing that 20 years? That's crazy. Uh, Fun question. What did you want to be when you, you know, were a little child?
1: (laughs) Uh, I wanted to be at first the next Mariah Carey because I thought I could sing. Um, I, but after that, I wanted to be an astronaut. After that, I wanted to be a lawyer. And then I turned to social work. (laughs) So there you go.
0: Gotcha. most people have said vet, so that's a new one. Um, can you see? I can. Yeah. No, okay. <laughs> um, let's see. Where did your career begin? What got you into social work?
1: Um, I would say it had to be maybe my sophomore year of college, where originally um, I went from criminal justice to uh, psychology, and I'm <laughs> in my uh, advisor at the time it's like you got to see inside, you know, intro to psych. I think you should think about social work if you want to go into private practice. And really what I didn't tell him was that I was distracted by a boy in my class. And I was like, I was not paying attention to nothing. But but nonetheless, it was actually a good precursor because psychology is more science-based. And I was like, I'm not in it. I just don't want it. So I was like, I like talk therapy. So he told me about social work. And the first thing that came to mind was, Mm-mm, don't they take away people, kids? And that's that's the stigma with social work. So um, when I got it, switched my major, I never looked back. Um, I love the field. It's so transvert, it's versatile in terms of what you can do with um, your bachelor's degree, what you can do if your master's, and if you get licensed, um, which is a must nowadays, uh, it's it's a very versatile uh, field beyond child welfare. <laughs> so um, I I've loved it. I've had many different roles: uh, psychotherapist, medical case manager, uh, working for a nonprofit, working for a for-profit psych hospital. Um, it's been mostly in mental health direct practice work. So that's where my passion, uh, my first passion lies. And it eventually morphed. Um, I knew I always wanted to do therapy. Um, growing up in a family where mental health, especially in the Black community, is not talked about often stigmatized. I grew up with that. So I always had an underlying passion for wanting to understand people's behaviors, why they do what they do, but also um, wanting to understand myself, um, which social work gave me a, a very heavy groundwork. And um, being able to understand myself better.
0: Gotcha. Um, what was the catalyst that made you go into your business, your entrepreneur endeavors?
1: Yeah, so that is a big question that people ask me, especially on LinkedIn. Um, so I have generalized anxiety disorder and ADHD. I talk about that a lot. When I started out on LinkedIn in 2018, I was a um burnt out social worker, and I was mostly talking about the military, I'm a former military spouse, um, I also grew up in the military, my father was in the Navy, um, and we have a long history of uh, military in our family, and I start sharing stories about the military and the stigma and how misunderstood that community is, um, talking about it from a standpoint of being a therapist, but also being a military spouse being a military child. Um, I started sharing stories there. Now, back then with LinkedIn, um, telling stories, using articles was the thing. Not as much anymore newsletters are right now. But um, back then I started sharing stories about myself. I started being more personal when people on LinkedIn were really doing that. And it it blew up. It's actually one of the first stories I ever wrote. And I started sharing more stories and trying to um, just break the stigma of a therapist and having all the answers, which I didn't, a lot of mental health professionals go into it because they know what it is to have emotional pain, or they may be still working through that. Um, sometimes in unethical ways through their clients, which is not supposed to happen, but um, that's why people come into the field. A lot of times because of their own uh, personal experiences around mental health. So I start talking about that more and it gained traction. Um, so LinkedIn was actually the probably the first place where originally I was looking for a job. And it turned into so much more over the years for me. Um, Building it, learning how to connect with people, build community. I became like literally obsessed with with LinkedIn. Um, So the story probably goes back further than just my current business. But if I can fast forward from 2018 to the last two years when I started my business, it's called Journey to Licensure, which helps social workers from a holistic perspective work on getting their license. Why? Because that was my difficulty. So on LinkedIn, I want to say back in 2019, I started sharing my journey that um, I needed to get my clinical license. Now for social workers, it takes two years. It took me literally 10 years postgraduate Howard University to get that license. Why? Because I had life happen to me. Um, so 2010, graduated from Howard, and then I ended up getting my first level license. I failed it the first time at three points, took it again two years past it, and then I just went into the field of working. Um, shortly after, I became pregnant with my first child. Um, my daughter, Asia, she passed away. Um, I gave birth, as a, um, had her uh, seven months a year old. The guy I was dating at the time, which became my future husband, um, he was really struggling because when I was pregnant with her, he was overseas, and during his 23-year uh, career in the Army, he had never been in an area that was war-torn. He was in Kabul, Afghanistan when I was pregnant with her. And when I told him that I lost her, he was just devastated. We both were. And it was one of those things where I really struggled with depression, and the best way I did that was just... Um, <laughs> it was unhealthy at the time, but I just fueled it into my career. I just became hunkered down and wanting to uh, focus on building it. Um, life happened again. I, When my ex-husband came back from Afghanistan, I became pregnant with my son. Um, Jaden was born with an abnormality where at six months he had to have a very serious kidney surgery uh, that if he didn't have it, he might have died. He's now almost nine now in June he has a clean bill of health but back then it was pretty rough um having him and then going through a divorce um my ex-husband had a baby during marriage which i found out about later and after that it was like a it's like a blur now looking back my son would constantly get sick i worked two to three hours away from my home catching a bus a train walking an hour and a half rain sleet snow um, to make sure that I could provide for him because my mm-hmm. ex-husband wasn't doing that. Um, so working as a therapist until five o'clock in the afternoon and then taking care of a sick medically compromised child, sometimes ending up in the hospital with him um, overnight and still having to go to work the next morning, sometimes barely getting any sleep, sleep. I did that for five, six years on top of trying to um, work and provide for him. I went through postpartum depression Um, almost giving up for adoption because of my depression, Um, trying to figure out, well, how am I going to piece my life back together? Um, So it was a whirlwind ride. And I shared a lot of that on LinkedIn. Um, And then I took my first clinical exam after taking 10 years to qualify. um, And I failed it miserably by two points. I was devastated. Why? Because it took me so many years to get my hours so many years of pouring into my work to get to that point. Um, It it was one of those things where looking back now, I can smile and laugh because back then I was just that depressed about it. In our field, we need that license in order to go to private practice. We need it for career mobility and marketability. Um, We needed to be able to practice in our field and also to have opportunities open for us. So especially for, uh, for Black clinicians, there's not a lot of us. And it's because the clinical license, um, the license exams are pretty hard. And there's a actual, um, our board came out with a recent report saying that the people that don't pass the exams are people that are Black, um, people that are older test takers, or people that have, don't have English as their first language. Right Those are usually marginalized communities of people that usually need help, They need social work services. If we don't pass those exams, we can't reach those people. So when I share that story of when I failed, I took it again eight months later and passed it. When I shared a snippet of this decade long story of what it took for me to pass the exam, It literally blew up to like maybe, I think it was like 150K in comments because I shared with people the journey of how many things happened to me along that could have deterred me. Um, So when I passed my exam, I ended up going to this app called Clubhouse. Clubhouse um, at the time was very huge two years ago. And I got on there and wanted to share with social workers what I did to pass my exam. So I started coaching social workers for free for the first six months. Now I had my license, I could have went directly into private practice, I did not. Um, I still was trying to figure out, did I wanna do therapy? I wasn't sure if I did. So I ended up coaching for six months on Clubhouse, free every Monday night, consistently with the study group. People started passing their exams. Um, Then I ran into who would soon be my future publisher, um, he said, hey, Shar, what are you doing? Um, you're doing something that works for people. It's benefiting. Why? like, are you still, are you monetizing this? I said, no, I'm just trying to help. He said, okay. So I want you to think of it this way. You now have something that people want, that people need, and you're providing a service that's needed. It's an untapped market. Um, I need you to change how you value yourself. When he said that to me, this lovely uh, white guy in Atlanta, it changed my mindset. I made my first $10,000 in July of 2021. Um, as social workers, we're taught not to look at money, uh, we're in it to serve others, which is true. At the same time, um, what I've learned very early on is that the price that we set for ourselves is a direct reflection of our value of ourselves. So I started pricing slowly learning how to build my community, learning how to leverage social media, learning to build my brand. It, it took a lot of work. My first year, um, I ended up in Business Insider within the first five months through LinkedIn. Um, I ended up, um, my first book, so it's called 90 Days of Prayer. It hit five-time Amazon bestseller within 72 hours of the launch, that was last January. Um, I became a, well, this year I became a LinkedIn advisor, to LinkedIn's platform, the only African American social worker that has that title. Um, so a lot of magical things happened. Um, at this past year, I closed at one hundred fifty k in sales, which is about thirty thousand dollars more than what I did last year. Um, it took twenty years to do what I did in two, and that's what I tell a lot of my social workers. It was a long road. Um, the things I needed to do, how I needed to market myself, how I needed to build trust and community over time. Um, so people, a lot of people on LinkedIn would see the success, but I'm constantly reminding them through my story, sharing it over and over again, that it took a long time. Um, I tell my social workers that, you know, they can do exactly what I did. And they're like, no, I can't do that. I don't have the skills I need. I was like, yes, you do. It's about what you do well, showing social proof for that, building community and knowing that it's going to take some, it's going to take some grind. But if you stick with it and you're consistent with it, um, it will prove its dividends. So that's the summary of the story of what I do. I'm now launching two other services of what I do, but a lot of, uh, I guess what uh, has helped my business be successful is that um, building relationships with my clients, Uh, they relate very much to my story. Um, Two years ago, almost three, I was broken on food stamps for three kids. And even after I started my business for the first six, seven months, I was broke. Um, April 2022, I made my first $24,000 in a month. Um, it wasn't until the end of December that my account was like, you know, your business is expanding, right? And I'm just like, I'm just on a grind. I'm just trying to help. If you go in with the intention of making money, you're in trouble. If you go in it with the intention of serving others, You'll always bear fruit, and I'll pause there (laughs) because I know I said a lot.
0: (laughs) Oh, it's it's heavy and it's inspirational at the same time. Um, I I didn't mention to you when I did my introduction that I lost my mother, and that was the that was a catalyst for me. Um, So yeah, I I totally understand all the blockers that go into life, and that's another reason why I, I wanted to do this podcast because things take time and you have blockers, you have ups and downs, you have the hills and the valleys and, and yeah, I mean, I don't know what else to say on that, but, um, congratulations, condolences, I mean, you, <laughs> you are doing it, <laughs> um, let me see. I
1: did, Here. Can I, I, uh-huh. I did have to mention to you, um, when you Talked about blockers and you talked about the death of your mother. Last February, February 17th, um, it'll be a year next month. My 18 year old brother was killed six blocks away from where I lived. And um, he's, I'm the oldest of five, now four. Um, <laughs> when I look at the year that I had last year in terms of the success of my business, I would trade it all just to see him again. Um, when I was in the throes of working, um, he had got gunned down. And so when I'm thinking about the barriers of what I've been able to do in the, in the year, still, still the grind of, you know, going, um, and trying to implement resilience within the framework of also making sure that I take the time out to remember why I'm doing it in the first place. I wanted to uh, share that with you, because when you say grind, I instantly thought of my brother, Samir.
0: Definitely, definitely. I I, I told you in my introduction that I moved to uh, another country, Mexico, and my mother had never left the country. She always wanted to travel and do these things. So, you know, I I, I do it partially for her and partially because I enjoy it. But, um, yeah, I mean, it it changes you, hopefully for the good. But, I mean, that it It just changes you forever. And, uh, what did you have support when you wanted to pivot and do these things? Um, what did your baby say, and you know, your friends, your family? You know, do they consider you to be crazy? <laughs> um, n- yes and no. Um
1: I felt like I kind of got lucky in a sense that I over time um, a lot of people when they go into business they're build they're building a business before they build their community for it for me i had already built a community and was just capitalizing on it um, for my family they saw out i have a funny story to tell you about that um for my family they were just happy to support me to a degree but I mean, i'm in the first generation college graduate, first generation uh, to get a master's degree, first generation to be an author and first generation to have a business, a successful one at that. Um, it's one of those things that I've kind of had to roll with the punches with my family. It wasn't until they saw me actually the money part of it that they were like, oh, okay, um, because I did have some pushback. My mom was like, okay, when are you going to get a job? Like, um, And it wasn't until I'll tell you a funny story. And I, I, <laughs> my mother, I took her, I remember my first year in business, I think it was around the time I made like 10 grand. And I took her to a Zell store and I spent like a couple grand and I don't remember. And I took her to go get her a brand new iPhone. Now, when I was in my pop-up Pop days, that joint would be on a payment plan. Okay. So, <laughs> um, and I just bought it straight outside. So I called, okay, mom, she's like, wait a minute. She's like, um, you spend about a couple of thousand nods without blinking an eye. Are you doing drugs? And that's what she said to me, okay? That's what she said to me. <laughs> and I said, no, mom, I have arrived. And I walked off. And she didn't say anything else after that. Um, I think when it comes to family, especially if, you know, they love you and they care about you, sometimes you kind of got to show patience and leave them where they are. You, I've learned that you can't take everybody with you. sometimes that's family and you got to leave them where they're at um until they're able to you know accept what you're doing or you just let your behavior and let your actions speak for themselves not everybody's gonna understand the grind even now my father's like oh you work so much but yet you need help with your bills but yet how do you think I can help you like my dad was homeless um over the summer and I got him an apartment and was able to get him what he needed um and be done being able to do things for my family um, financially um, has been a blessing, a godsend to be able to do that um, as having a title as a social worker, because again, that societal stigma is there. So I'm constantly even now fighting the stigma of that social workers don't make money or they're working for somebody or they're in private practice. I'm not in any one of those things. I'm in private practice, but it's not a, a therapeutic practice in the sense that it's not therapy, it's coaching. I'm just using my skills in a different way. Um, But going back to your question, it took, it did, even now sometimes, like, even though they see the money coming in and they they are like, do what you got to do. I'll talk to you later. They understand that, you know, I got, (laughs) I'm doing stuff, but it's still a fight. You're working too much. You're doing this, you're doing that. Um, I don't have a regular nine to five job. So I have to, I have to be visible. I got to grind. I have to, and I love my work. So it's not just me working, the passion for what I do shows. And that's the other thing I tell entrepreneurs, social selling is the way to go. It does take longer, but it always pays its dividends. I have a sales coach that actually really um, capitalized on that with me, because one of the things he says is that people um, don't call people. Like if you ever have consultations and people will call you and some like you checking up on them, even if they don't respond, it they're listening. They may not respond to you right away, but they I've had so many sales from building relationships with people that even if they said no initially, because I consistently care, because I consistently showed up for them, even if they didn't return it, it pays its dividends. It takes time, it takes patience. Um, on LinkedIn, I see a lot of people just cold selling, cold calling, and they wonder why I'm so successful because I, listening to the needs of the people I'm serving, listening to their pain points and generally wanting to help them without selling, sharing, being vulnerable on that platform and sharing that I'm not human. Um, a lot of people feel like they know me because they see me constantly. They'll see Jaden, my son on there. Or, um, I remember one time I deep fried a turkey on LinkedIn on Thanksgiving, I've Gotten engaged on LinkedIn, share that video. Like sharing pieces of my life for me is, is very much opposing of what I did as a therapist. So learning how to connect with people for me has been, I guess, um my superpower. I don't want to say superpower, but um having a mental health background has definitely helped. Um learning how to be patient with people. And they may, you know, you're not for everybody, but you're for somebody. So I'm going to stop here because, you know, I could just start writing all day. So I know that I dropped some
0: gems. Oh, yeah, you dropping gems. Definitely, definitely. Um, I don't even know what else to say on that. You know, I've, I've read that you have to build your community before, before you start selling. Um, and that's what I did with, with my own business this time around is that I built a, a, a community before I started selling to them. So um, and that took, that took about six months. Um, so yeah, I totally get it. Um, and you know, telling being, being human, like you said, and, and telling your story where you come from and and how you got there. Cause I don't know, I don't want to say there's not a lot of stories out there about that, but there's not a lot of stories out there about that. Cause me and my friend go back and forth about it. My My entrepreneur friend, um, and we're like, okay, well, how did they get there? You know, they say they're, they're making all this money and stuff like that, but what was the journey? I want to know the journey. <laughs> you know, I, I don't want to you know details on, oh, well, you checked this box and did this and talked to this person, but I mean, what, what, You know, how did you get there? You know, no one just started off, hey, I made, you know, $200,000 this year. Like, how did you get there? So, um, I can appreciate you, you know, giving the background and the story and, you know, what you do to get there and, you know, generalizing it to a deep, to a certain detail. But, um, but yeah, um, let me see what else we got. Um, What are some of the positives and negatives of being, you know, in this, in this coaching business? Oh, where do I start? Okay. So, (laughs)
1: um, positives, I'll start there. Um, being able to control my schedule, um, being able to have freedom, being able to set my own boundary, um, and reinforce them as needed. Uh, But also growing in confidence. I did not start out as confident as I did now. I had to kind of grow into that, growing into uh, pricing, um, asking, right? Um, Not assuming that people are going to know my value, but showing them um, and being able to ask for what it is that uh, is of value to them and seeing how I can work with them, learning how to be flexible, now, price ranges, you know, um, being able to gauge pricing, learning how to sell, you know, learning how to close a deal, um, and also allowing patience with people. Um, when they come to you, it may just be at first just for advice. They, it may have been something they saw in a post, um, but there's a reason why they came to you. Foster that relationship, even if it doesn't end in a sale right away. Stay connected to them. Um, because calls go a long way than just email. I've called, I text, I check in with people, even if they don't ask for my services right away, because if they call me, I let them know you're stuck with me. So I'm a check-in on you, even if you're not like needing help with your licensing right now, you call me for a reason. So if I can be a support to you, I'm going to try my best to do that. Um, so learning how to sell, how to be a businesswoman, <laughs> it, it, that's like the grind, the negative that's the self-sabotaging part, um, imposter syndrome, learning that I am of value. That's something I've had to fight with, with myself. So um, and sharing that vulnerably on LinkedIn, like, yeah, I made all this money, but I still have thoughts that I'm not good enough. I still have thoughts that um, this could be better. Like, I'm always trying to figure out how I can serve my community better. Um, the pitfalls of Sometimes I'm on the grind and I'm missing things with my family. So making sure that I'm spending time with my fiance, spending time with my kids, spending time with my family, um, self-care. Um, I had an incident in New Year's that was very negative. I actually shared about it um, on LinkedIn um, early post that I ended up in the ER um, right before New Year's because I had I get debilitating migraines. But with the migraines for the last two weeks between Christmas Eve and New Year's, it was happening every day. I would get up with the migraine, go to bed with the migraine um, on one side of my eye. Now, when I went to see the doctor, they gave me a migraine cocktail through IV. They did a and Nothing was there, which told me it was more stress and psychosomatic. Um, trying to be everything to everybody. I cannot. My family looks at me as the go-to. I'm the go-to person. I'm the first fix-it person. What I've learned is that I cannot be everywhere, um, nor should I be expected to be everywhere. Um, and I've had to set those boundaries with my family, um, even with my be spouse, um, mm-hmm. and having to learn that self-care has to be a front where I can't pour into anybody, I'm no good. You know, people don't want pieces of me. They want me as a whole grounded person. So I constantly have to remind myself of that, which can be positive and negative, right? But it's what you do with the insight, you know, um, to implement action that's going to mitigate that, you know, what that outcome could be. So negative things, you know, (laughs) learning that as you grow, as you become more visible, it's going to attract various types of people. Um, me and my girlfriend, uh, talk about this all the time that we always yell in the drink show- song, no new friends. <laughs> and the reason why is I've learned the hard way, um, that some people come in your life to take some people come into your life for a reason that you may not know. Um, and I, because of the money that I make now, I, it draws a lot of attention. So I now have to be very cognizant very careful because i wear my heart on my sleeve, how I connect to people and really figure out what someone's intention is. Now I'm not saying I'm not going to distrust, you know, distrust every person I meet. I give you my trust until you break it. But it's one of those things now that I have to be very cognizant in how I move because you never know who's watching. Um, I've had an incident happen to me where my book was copyrighted on link, uh, not on LinkedIn, on Amazon um, by a somebody in another country, six different covers with the same content. And it was hell and high water for me to get it off. Um, another incident where my Facebook account was hacked and my Instagram account was hacked and it I lost like half of my community. But the good thing was I was on a variety of platforms and had an email list. So I, I still made up fine. So learning that in There's negative positive. There's tons of things I probably could say. But the one thing that probably sticks out the most is making sure that I'm okay. Like everyone wants a piece. Not everybody should have a piece. And that time is the most precious thing you have. Um, And to make sure that people value it, that they respect it, um, and that you respect your time. Because it's something you can't get back uh, that's something I've really had to learn and not to overextend myself. Um, cause you know, at one point the people pleasing girl comes out and I got to check her. like, no, um, you're supposed to meet with them for an hour, set that boundary there. Um, they didn't do th- what they were supposed to do. Not your problem. You told them what to do. Like just making sure that those boundaries are set and I'm constantly adjusting them as I go, but also, um, checking with myself to make sure I uphold them because that people pleasing, wear my heart or my sleeve, it doesn't go very well with business and people, when they realize, you know, that they will take advantage of it. So just trying to be really cognizant of, of that. So I know I gave another
0: like, no, yes. no, it's, it's perfectly fine. It's all about you. Um, yeah, three things. Um, I used to have terrible migraines too, and I got a Dave piercing. <laughs> um, you know, I was trying any and everything and I, I was like, well, let me try this and see if it works. And it actually did. I don't, I don't have them at all. Um, so maybe try, try the Dave piercing in, in your ear, um, for that. And number two, the giving yourself away and people wanting to be all up in your business and mix. And I call it, I call it, people want to touch me. That's what I call it. Um, When I moved to Mexico, you know, there's not very many people there that look like me. Right. Um, And so everyone was curious about, you know, the black woman in Mexico and things like that. And I was like, they just want to touch me. (laughs) That's what I call it. Uh, They just want to, talk to me and know more about me and I'm like, well, I have all these resources over here already. I, I don't I don't want to talk to you personally, you know like go watch a video or read my blog or something like that, you know so I I totally get you on it um and the third thing about <laughs> about the negatives of telling people, oh yeah, this is what you were supposed to do and they didn't do it. Um, I referred someone to Microsoft. I mean what, the, one of the largest, tech companies on earth, right? And about three months after I referred him, he came back and was like, Yeah, I didn't fill it out. Like, can you refer me again? I just left it on red. I'm like, why would you squander an opportunity like that? (laughs) So I can tell you some (laughs) I get you, I do. Um kind of touched on it a little bit, but what do you think are some of the the traits that someone would have to go into social work. Um, I mean, you can talk about social work and you can also talk about, you know, the type of business that you're in too. Um, In terms of social
1: work, um, because I get questions like that on LinkedIn all the time, um, because social workers aren't very visible on LinkedIn. Um, I'm still trying to teach a lot of my colleagues. It's a very powerful platform for networking, um, not just resume, you know, that's what it was when it first started, but so much more um, in terms of building your community, building your brand before you need it. Um, So really, I would probably have to say um, for social work, you got to be willing to talk. There's some of us that are introverts. I am by nature. You probably like, no, she's not an introvert. I am. I'm very introverted, but there's the other part of me that has to be extroverted or I'm not going to be able to give my gifts. So. So, social work, you have to be versatile and assistant. You have to love working with people. Um, You have to be willing to um, be flexible. um, And you have to be willing to get support too. Social workers, just like any other profession, especially you're in the direct service field, I believe that social workers should have therapists. I was a therapist that had a therapist. Because you got to know what it's like to be on the other side of the seat of being vulnerable. You're asking someone to bear their bearings and you don't know what that feels like. So how are you going to help somebody in that position? And you've never been there. So um, there are a variety of things I could say about social work, but I do think that it's a beautiful field. Um, it's evolving always. There's traditional social work where there's case managers, there are people that are politicians, there are people that are um, head of organizations, professors, there's people that are educating up-and-coming social workers. Um, me, I'm on the more side, I would say, more the coaching aspect. I am directly not in social work right now. I do give clinical supervision to social workers that are needing hours in Pennsylvania because I'm in Philly. I do give professional development to social workers who are trying to learn how to uh, build a brand. How to use LinkedIn. How to maybe wanting to be a best-selling author. Learning how to um, build a brand that can be that can work to their benefit, but also provide them with more opportunities than just a job. Um, learning how to if you're a direct practice worker, learning how to build your clinical tool bag before you you need it. Um, that's something I teach a lot of my supervisees is when you're first starting out in the field it is low pay. I mean, that's with anything, right? Unless you're like in tech or something. Um, But it's all about how you use your place of employment, you know, adding value to the employer, going beyond your responsibilities. And to give you a good example of that, um, when I was a therapist for about 10 years, um, about 22 specializations that I have on LinkedIn are from that one job. Because I was an outpatient therapist, they oftentimes needed different types of specialties. Some of my clients had schizophrenia or psychosis. Um, Grief and loss was something I saw that was an untouched need. So I became a certified grief counselor and provided that to them. Um, They needed play sanitary play therapy. I became certified in that bought my own supplies, provided that to them. What it did was it also trained social workers that were new. As I became a seniority in my position, I trained other social workers. So I taught, I'm teaching other social workers how to take the positions that they're in and um, gain their value through experience, but also investing in themselves. is something that we're not taught to do. So, um, and what I mean by investing, licensing, certifications, um experience mentorship. Um I tell a lot of my colleagues that what took me 20 years to do, guess what? You can learn from me faster and get there faster than I did than 20 years. Skip my mistakes. You know, align yourself with people that, you know, wherever it is that you want to go, that you, you know, you're around them. You are what a certain percentage of the people that you hang around. So just really trying to um be versatile. Um, in social work, but teach people that just, you know, being a case manager or a therapist, nothing wrong with those positions because I've done them, but know that that there's more of the social work than just traditional child welfare or uh, working in social services, um, that you can really build your career in a way that can be beneficial. Um, a lot of my colleagues, like, I just, they see the money. But they don't always see what it took for me to get there. So that's why I do a lot of sharing on LinkedIn um, about how I started out. It was, you know, if I had to go back 10 years, I would never have thought I would have got to where I am now um, without being in private practice. Um, working from anywhere, being able to go to Disney World with my kids. In a couple of days, I'm, I'm spending on the computer. But yet the bills are getting paid. Um, things are looking good for me now. But it wasn't always that. Um, So, again, I know that was probably a really mouthful, but um, in social work, we're told that we're the backbone of society. And we are. Oftentimes, society looks at us and we're not valued as much, hence the low pay, Um, hence the licensing discrepancies that are there, especially when it comes to marginalized communities that need social workers the most. Um, it's a struggle right now. They're actually revamping the licensing exams because of those discrepancies, but it's not happening soon enough, um, which is where I come in to try to support as many uh, social workers, no matter what they look like or where they're from. Um, I've had many success stories um, that simply come from people that were like me, struggled with neurological disorders or um, were busy parents, demanding jobs, anxiety, depression, or really just had life happen to them. Because they can relate to the story that I tell, um, they end up coming to me and I'm more relatable than a self-care, like a self-study program that they go to or um, or a program like that. Sorry, that was my mama. I thought I turned my phone on vibrate. (laughs) But um, yeah, so I gave you a mouthful, but it's a very versatile field. I love it. I'm just helping social workers from the extinct now that um, from my own experience, to me is more valuable than just working in an office that, um, in a building where half of people that I would serve when I was a mental health therapist wouldn't even come in.
0: Definitely. Um, you touched on so much. I'm an introvert too. When people are shocked. And I said, I, I become extroverted when I want to get my money. <laughs> uh, yes, yes, yes. <laughs> right like, I'm gonna get my money for the day. So uh, I I step out of myself and like, uh, I guess like Beyonce becomes, I forget, uh, Beyonce or something like that. Like I I become a totally different person. So so yeah, I get you on that. Outside of that, are there other like services that are doing what you're doing? Because I, I find that at least in tech, there's all these boot camps and schools and things like that. But like you're saying, you know, it's not something where you're literally being handheld, you know, a lot of times in order to pass these exams, and, you know, the experience portion, and things like that, so I don't want to say what differentiates you from from something else, but I'm curious to know, because I'm I'm not familiar with uh, social work outside of the, you have to get 2,000 hours, I think it is, and a master's degree, like, you know, what type of Coaching and and services do they have like like I guess more so like the the bar exam for lawyers and stuff like that because they have a whole bunch of stuff for that too.
1: Yeah, so I can actually um, talk about that a little bit more. So with my services on a journey to licensure, um, unlike a self study program um, where you're study they you know you're given a book and you just kind of got to half at it on your own. Uh, my services are very much holistic and they're personalized to the person at the time. There are many self-study programs that I usually get end up getting the clients from those self-study programs because they either don't know how to study, they're overwhelmed, they they have underlying diagnosis that they don't even know that they have, um, or they take an the exam so many times that they're frustrated and they're stuck in this defeatist mindset. Um, and because of what I struggle with, um, a lot of people relate to my They end up coming to me than just going to a self-study program. Or if they're in a boot camp, boot camps are usually, a, which is a group program, usually one or two days. Here's all the things you need to do. Go do it. See you later. My program is about seven to eight weeks, which is unheard of. Um, I like to see my group members through their study process. I like to build their study process for them, make sure they have resources. But being a clinician, the other piece is having a holistic view of the whole person and not just on the exam portion of it, which separates me. Because when I um, meet with my clients, um, you've probably seen a whole bunch of testimonies of people that are passing. Most of those people either have... Anxiety, ADHD, a neurological disorder, or they're really struggling um, with how to study for these exams. Um, And there is a tutoring part to it, of course, but it's more so the structure, the emotional support that they get. I'm pushing them, I'm giving them tough love, but I'm also nurturing and patient um where a tutor is only going to meet with you for an hour i'm meeting with people daily they have my number my personal number um I have virtual office hours that they call me and we talk through their mindset their fear their anxiety so it goes a lot deeper than just an exam a lot of the programs that are out there it separates me in the sense that they're getting a hands-on life um instruction but they're also getting someone that professionally is a clinician so when it comes to diagnosis or stress or anxiety i'm more equipped to deal with that than someone that's just a tutor right so uh, which probably accounts for my success i've had over 325 social workers so far pass uh their exams within two years um by myself <laughs> so it, it's it's been quite a ride but when i think about what to bring chase me when people call me they're like oh i need tutoring i'm like Mm-mm. if you need tutoring this ain't it. So <laughs> I let them know how my system is built. Um, I either work with people in 12 weeks or 16 weeks. And then I'm going gonna to be their motivational on-call coach partner um, throughout their entire process. Yes, they'll get the tutoring part, the structure, the tools needed, but they're also going to get the support because a lot of times, especially when people fail, they're fighting themselves. I've done that, so I can recognize it and hold the space in a different way than somebody that's just, you know, going to tune in on practice questions. Um, so hopefully, it kind of gives you a better understanding um, to give you an example of the type of people I've worked with. I had one lady who was deaf. Uh, I didn't know she was deaf. Her name, <laughs> I didn't know she was deaf at all. Her name was Shannon Schreiber. Um, she's actually on uh, Instagram. And Shannon Shriver contacted me through Facebook. Now, I'm thinking this lady, I'll never forget. It was like May of last year. She was just like, hey, I need some help. I'll you past people. I was like, cool, cool, cool. Let's hop on a phone call. I was very confused when I found out it was a man. That was I was on the phone with. Because I was like, um, excuse me, this is not Shannon. He's like, oh, this is her interpreter. I was like, oh. And in my mind, I was like, oh, Lord, I'm not going to be able to help her. I don't, I don't do the American Sign Language. This is just. And I just start putting myself in a box. And she says, "No, I think you he can help me. Let's work together." Um, I passed my practice exam. I'm, um, I just, I'm really nervous. It's my first time taking a test. We worked together for six weeks through interpreter. Um, I'm nervous. I was like, "I don't know if I'm, I'm going to be able to help her." I do it anyway. She texts to me at ten o'clock at night, says she passed her clinical exam, which is the highest license you can have. She was in Boston, Massachusetts. What I didn't know about this lady, and I didn't find out until later. Uh, looking at her Instagram, her husband died during the pandemic um, from cancer. She had two small boys she was caring for. So she was a recent widow. On top of the fact that her job was pressuring her, that if she didn't pass, she probably lost her job. I had no idea until I looked because I didn't know her story. But when you talk about impact, um, those are the people that I think of. And another guy, his name was Jermaine Ruffin, we're not related, six kids. Um Black male social work, which is rare, right? Because social work is predominantly uh, predominantly women. Um, even rare for Black clinicians, uh, especially males, not a lot of them. And I remember he and said, I need some help. I need somebody that's going to be on me. He's a busy parent, six kids, has a heavy job. And we worked together for about 12 weeks, twice a week, um, along with building him a structure for being a busy parent. Some people need more prioritizing. Um, some people need more support, emotional support. He passed his exam with flying colors, but if he said it was because he had somebody that um, he knew he had to check in with every week. And I was on him like white right on rice. Right. Sometimes people need that push, but they also need to feel supported to know that um, someone else has been there before and that they're not alone. So when I think about what differentiates me, I would probably have to say more so looking at the person for what they need and trying to do my best to hold the space for them. If they cannot see themselves passing, to hold that vision for them until they can hold the vision for themselves. So trying to have a nurturing space where they can, uh, as they're building confidence, um, that they can go through the process um, and have someone there that can support them so I know you're from tech world, <laughs> but in terms of for social work and licensing, it's it's been pretty rough. I mean, um, when people take those exams, a lot of times it's based off of book knowledge. If you've been out of school a long time, it, it's, it can be rough um, because you're working from a brain of what you know in the field and not from a student point of view. A lot of students who come out of school and take their exams right away, they do better than people who have been out longer. Um, So there's a lot of things changing with the social work licensing exams at this point, but it fully won't, the changes won't fully be in effect for two years. In the meantime, you have social workers that still have families, they got to provide, they got bills, they got student loans. Um, They have to pass those exams, just like a doctor would to get, you know, because he has his medical degree, he still has to pass his medical boards. A lawyer, you mentioned, um, has to pass the board exam to be licensed as a lawyer. It's the same for for social workers. And most people don't know um, how uh, hard our licensing exams are, despite how undervalued we are paid in the field. So.
0: (laughs) I so, so enjoyed this. Thank you, Shar, for coming on the show. Any last words? Tell us where to find you.
1: Um, you can find me on five different platforms. You can find me on TikTok. <laughs> you can find me on LinkedIn. You can find me on Twitter, YouTube, um, Clubhouse, and Facebook. I have a personal page and a business page um, that you can find. So, on if you Google "journey to licensure" or "Shar Ruffin," I'll pop up there all my stuff is public, (laughs) so I'm pretty visible.
0: All right, y'all. Thank you for listening and or watching. Uh, Nobody Wants to Work, though. My name is Elise Robinson, and please subscribe, and I'll see y'all next time.